Always want to say welcome to our viewing audience at the house as well. I envy you right now because you're in PJs and I'm not, so it's a way to go. So we've been in a series, our pastors have been teaching us on the Great Commission and the Great Commandment in this series that Jose has already talked about this morning called It's Simple. My, re my responsibility today is to talk about the Great uh, Commission. And in order to do that, I want to teach a message that is entitled, If I Were the Devil, If I Were the Devil. I won't have you repeat that message title uh, out live with me because I might scare the women and children in doing so, okay? But if I were the devil. Now, you may think right on the front end, I don't like when a presenter talks more about the devil than Jesus. And I assure you, by the end of this message, that I will capitalize on Jesus over the enemy, the devil, the snake, the serpent. If you just give me a little leeway and a little grace to set this up, I will indeed get there. Some of you have read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. And there are in that book uh, 31 letters from Uncle Screwtape to Nephew Wormwood, tempting a human who goes by the name of the patient. And so this is kind of in the same genre as that, but it's kind of a t-ball version because I totally do not compare myself to C.S. Lewis, and you'll figure that out in the next 25 minutes or so, okay? But sometimes you have to think in terms of what is the devil up to? What are the schemes of the enemy? Just like a defensive coordinator for a football team, what is the offense going to run, a first down, third down, whatever it is? Sometimes you have to think in terms of a military strategist person, strategist person who's thinking, you know, is this enemy going to come and take this hill or is this battalion going to move this way? And what can I do to keep him from advancing and taking over, you know, our nation? You have to think in terms of that. I want to say up front, that first of all, if you're a Christ follower, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Greater is he, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you than he, the enemy, Satan, the devil himself, that's in the world. Come on now, let's wake up here. Come on, are we with me? Can I get an amen? amen? Okay. I also want to say to you, Ephesians 6.12, contemporary English version goes like this. We're not fighting against humans. We're fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world. I, at times, demonize people. How about you? I, at times have difficulty separating the human who's loved by God and the issues that that person stands for. How about you? We need not demonize another human being created in the image of God. When we do that, we're basically saying, yes, God, I acknowledge you, that you are on the throne of God. This isn't much of a throne, but bear with me, okay? But I'd like for you just temporarily to scoot aside so I can sit there and I can play judge. If I were the devil, 
I'm not the devil. You're not the devil. The devil's been defeated. He's been displaced. And one day he will be doomed. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me give you just a brief theological framework of Satan. Aren't you excited? Okay. <laughs> the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. And he said to the church in Corinth, look, this guy's caused trouble in the church. Yes, indeed. That happens even to this day. And I want you to forgive him so that you can carry on with what you're to focus on. It's interesting in context what he says at this point in Scripture. It's 2 Corinthians 2.11. It says, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. See, that verse and that scenario reinforces what I just said to you, is that we have to be familiar with the enemy's schemes. Don't go blind into life. Pollyanna thinking everything's going to be fine in the Christian life. If anybody told you that, well, they lied to you. It's not an easy life. It's called the narrow way. But it leads to life, like we've talked about and sung about already this morning. You know that insurance commercial? The insurance commercial is about this guy, fabulous commercials, who's just wreaking mayhem. Did you like that one? The enemy is like 10,000 times that guy. He wreaks merciless mayhem in the world today. That's what he's all about. Three things, steals, kills, and destroys. That's what he's gonna do. He's gonna steal, kill, and destroy. So what the enemy is about is lying to us, when he speaks, he lies, and therefore, when he speaks, he speaks in his own native language. You need to know that. We're going to address the flip side of this in just a minute, but we're talking about this theological framework right now for the enemy. The next thing that you need to see, it's going to be on your screen, is this. This great dragon out of the book of Revelation, a revelation or an unveiling that was given to John on the island of Patmos, this great dragon, the ancient servant called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with his angels, all of his angels. For the accuser has been thrown down to earth, the one who accused our brothers and sisters before our God night and day. So what do we learn from that verse? Well, we learn that he was once an angel, but he got booted out of heaven because of his pride. He wanted to be God, not just like God. He wanted to be God, along with some extra angels as well. He's thrown out of heaven. So that means God is sovereign and God is in control. God's the chief. Hallelujah. He's all powerful. And we also learn that he's the accuser. The enemy is the accuser. And what does he do? He accuses you before God day and night. God, you see what Christina just did? You call her a believer? You call her a friend of yours, you see what Larry just did? Uh-huh, see Larry, you can't sit on the back row and get away with it, okay, all right? See what Larry just did? Uh-huh, what JD just did? He calls himself a pastor, look what he just did. By the way, JD put this picture of he and his wife before or after a run, 
He's got his shirt off, you know. He's got this six-pack thing going on. I'm like, man, that reminds me of my younger days. So anyway, <laughs> that was free, J.D. He, he emailed me and asked me to say that this morning. <laughs> so that's what the enemy's doing. He's accusing you before God day and night. Is he your friend? It's not a trick question. Is he your friend? Is the enemy the friend, a friend of yours? He's not a friend of yours. Now, the neat thing about this is if you go one more verse, it's not going to be on the screen, you see in context how the devil was defeated. Three things. By the blood of the Lamb, pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ, by the word of their testimony, telling your story about Jesus, and that they were willing to die. They were willing to sacrifice their lives. That's how the enemy is defeated. Now, we press on. Later on in the book of Revelation, we come to Revelation chapter 20. Then we're going to shift gears. And it says this, Then the devil who portrayed them was thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. And there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So one day that will happen. One day, see, the devil and his de demons and his minions are all running around the earth today accusing you before, you know, the Father. And one day, he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. He's doomed to the lake of fire. You don't want to be doomed to the lake of fire. Not a good thing. So what did we just talk about? He's defeated, he's displaced. And he is doomed. You need to know those things as we move forward. Now let's look at the other side of the coin for just a minute. And let's think about God. God, the scripture says in Titus 1-2, it says this. And he, God, cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Would you just say that with me? Here we go. It's impossible for God to lie. Isn't that refreshing? When he speaks to you, when this word speaks to you, he's speaking the truth to you. The enemy takes the truth and twists it and wants you to pursue a lesser path. It always looks attractive. By the way, the enemy doesn't come to you with a pitchfork, right? And a nice little red suit and the cool little ears and the tail. Well, who, that's not attractive anyway, but you know. No, he's, he's, he's the father of lies. He's the chief deceiver. He didn't come to you in an obvious, hi, I'm the enemy. He deceives you and lures you in into a certain way. The devil knows that the inevitable is going to happen to him. And the inevitable is that he'll be doomed and put into the lake of fires. Everybody got that? Can you say amen? amen? Okay, now, Jesus proclaims something very interesting here, and we'll use this as a springboard to carry on to four points I want to unpack today. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, he says, and the good news about the kingdom, the reign and rule of God at any given time, at any given place, the kingdom, 
will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then finally the end will come. No one knows when that happens except, you know, Father God. Don't worry about those predictions out there that it's coming tomorrow, it's coming next month. Don't be occupied or preoccupied with that stuff. Just live one day at a time like the scripture talks about. But Jesus clearly says as the gospel is presented out there in the nations and the end will come. That's what it says. It's right there. So now, at times you have to think like the enemy. You have to think like the devil. You got to be thinking the devil knows the word of God. He knows the word of Jesus. So the question that I present to you today is this. How could I, being the devil, prevent the gospel from being preached throughout the entire world? By the way, when I say preach the gospel, think of that in holistic terms. Think about it like this. Think about it in small groups. Think about it. Think about it in terms of reaching the poor and the oppressed. Think about it in feeding people and helping people in healthcare and medical needs. Think about a holistic preaching of the gospel, not just a message on Sunday morning. And I think the answer is this. If I were the devil, I would be totally committed to preventing the church from preaching the gospel of Christ into all the world so that I could hang around and not reach my inevitable demise. See, here's the deal. The devil knows that the church is the bride of Christ. And the devil knows that the church is the primary gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the devil's going to come after the church. But yet the word of God says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. At the end, uh-oh, are you with me now this morning? Okay. At the end of the story, God wins. Hello? So sometimes we say, well, you know, God wins, so we can just kind of mm, Pollyanna world, you know, just do what we want to do. And you know what? That's why we pay the pastors. The pastors are in charge of these kind of things. No, 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 no. doesn't say that in the Great Commission. Go you there for pastors. Right? We're all in it together. Aren't you excited to hear that? We're all in it together, okay? And you probably do it a lot better than I do it. So I want to unpack four things for you today and we'll be done. If I were the devil, now I'm not the devil, you're not the devil. The devil's been defeated, the devil's been displaced, and one day the devil will be doomed to the lake of fire. If I were the devil, I would marginalize missions. I'm talking about looking outside the walls of Cypress Creek Church. You've done that for 18 years very, very well, by the way. I'm talking about getting outside of yourself and realizing there's a dying and lost world out there. See, if I was the devil, I'd make sure the church had a missions program, but not a missions passion. I'd make sure they had a missions department, but not a missions die. Dynamic. I'd make sure that they had a missions consciousness, but not a missions commitment. 
See, there's been times in church history, global, wide world church history, that not one person was sent outside the walls of the church to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the church was concerned about keeping their own doctrine pure. And they got stuck. And don't hear me say doctrine's not important. Didn't say that. But they were in trough focus, looking at the navel in their own uh, looking at the dust in the, uh, their, their own navel, okay? Preoccupied with themselves. And again, there was people out there going, help, help, help. We need your help. We're interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd make sure that missions was marginalized. The second thing I would do if I were the devil, I'm not the devil, you're not the devil. The devil's been defeated. Devil's been displaced. The devil one day would be doomed in the lake of fire. And marginalized missing. The second thing I'd do is I'd make sure the Great Commission became the great omission. The Great Commission says, as you go, I want you to do these things. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize. I want you to teach to obey. Those are the main points of the Great Commission in a nutshell right there. Now, last week, Pastor Jose, in my estimation, did an excellent job talking about the Great Commandment. He brought in uh, our local ministry partners that we support. You guys have supported them for a long time, and they were able to sit out there in tables and recruit you and ask for this and that, and it's all good. So it's a, it's a both and, you see. It's local and it's international. And whenever you talk about taking the gospel to the world, inevitably in any given local context, you'll have people that will say, well, why are we sending all our money outside the walls of the church and we have so many needs right here in Wimberley or in San Marcos or Hayes County? Oh my gosh, do you know all the needs we have here? Of course there are needs here. Of course. But I want to say to you, in the name of Jesus, if you make $34,000 U.S. a year, you are in the top 96 to 97 percentile in the world's wealth. This is not a prosperity gospel sermon, but let me edge up on that and just say, you are wealthy. You're prospering to the glory of God. That's true. And you're saying to me, why are we sending all that money to India? What are those people done with, done with it over there? Why can't we help our own? You know, I, I met a lady down the street that didn't have any food in her pantry. Why isn't the church doing something for her? You is the church. <laughs> Somebody out there? You be the church. You get so focused on what ain't right, forget what is right. Have you noticed the stains on the carpet here? Who put those stains? Where are these holes from? They're from candles at Christmas Eve. <laughs> Your wax on the carpet. Who's in charge of the K-Cups? They never get the right flavor. <laughs> really? You're saying this out loud to me, your pastors? Really? 
slap, slap in the name of Jesus. Let's wake up and realize there's a whole world to be reached out there. Let's get over ourselves. We had two years in a row where our theme was, this is not about us. This is not about us. Now, when I passed the baton, January 12th of 2020, the overseers, the overseers, I know that sounds like a scary term for guests that are here. It's like, we got people watching me in Wimberley, you know. <laughs> They're simply elders of the church. Appointed Jose. I had no idea, right? And you didn't either, that COVID was coming. And man, I thank God almost on a weekly basis. Thank you, God, I wasn't the lead pastor at Cypress Creek Church. It's awesome. Here, Jose. You figure out live stream. You figure out social distancing. You wear your mask, all that kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong, all those are good things, okay? And I just want to say to you that in my estimation, I'm just one out of, what, 6.3 billion people or something like seven, whatever it is, okay, billions and billions of people. Um, I'm just one person that believe, I believe, that's what I'm getting at, be patient with me, that our pastoral staff and our overseers have done a brilliant job in 2020. I'm so proud of them for what they've done. And, you know, there's a group out there called the Barna Research Group. You don't have to worry about, well, who's the Barna Research Group? But they're like tops in looking at churches. Well, who's bored enough to do that? Well, that's what they do. And they said probably only about one out of five churches will make it through this year because of COVID in America. All right? And you guys are just soared. Everybody say amen. amen. Way to go. Why? Why? Because you weren't worried about the holes in the carpet and the stains in the carpet and the K-cup flavors. And why somebody took your seat one morning? You've got your eyes outside the walls of the church. And what happens when you start looking inside the church is the downfall begins. I love these young people up here. They're nodding their head when I make a point. You don't know how encouraging that is <laughs> to this 75-year-old. <laughs> By the way, I meant to do this earlier, but if you are a young person, well, I better qualify that. Let's just say that you're uh, all the way up to uh, college age, all the way up to college age. Would you just stand to your feet for just a second? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you front. This is not Price is Right or anything like that. Of course, you don't know that show. All right, let's give, just stand up. Keep on saying, let's give him a big hand, okay? Stay standing up. And look at me, as painful as it might be, just look at me. I want to tell you something, okay? You've heard it before, especially you grew up in the church, but I want to tell you something. God is completely for you. He's not against you. And the enemy is after you. He wants to still kill and destroy you. And you're like, well, I'm different. I'm special. No, you're not. And you're not smarter than the enemy. All these other folks that are seated can tell you, you're not smarter than the enemy. 
and they could tell you stories about their life that you wouldn't even believe. But you know what? God wins, and he's the redeemer. So you go the narrow way. And when the crowd is doing this, and that's all cool, and oh my gosh, I feel left out, and I'm not cool anymore, and blah, blah, blah. hey, let me tell you something. That's just like, boom, and it's gone in your life. It's just a flash, and it's gone. Thank you. Let's give him another hand for participating. Where are we? So my, my, my contention is we don't need more training necessarily. The same old sermons, the same old Christian doctrine, all that kind of stuff. It's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But what we need to do is pray. I want to share the gospel with a Joe. I pray unto God. Lord, I look for an opportunity. I look forward to the opportunity to pray for, or to share the gospel with Joe. God's gonna open the door because you're praying according to the will of God. Be obedient, walk through the door. Listen first and earn the right to share your story. It will work every single time. This series is called It's Simple. This is not rocket science. The third thing is this. If I were the devil, help me along here. I'm not the devil. You're not the devil. Devil's been defeated. Devil's been displaced. And one day, he'll be doomed into the lake of fire. Third thing would be I'd encourage Christ followers to pray for the harvest. Uh-oh. Sounds heretical. Some in the house are going, I knew this guy was a heretic. Okay. I pray for the harvest. Well, Jesus said something different. Uh-oh. Now I got your attention. Jesus said in Matthew 9, the harvest is so great. Obviously, another word for that is ripe. But the workers are so few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send out more workers in his fields. So occasionally with some friends, I'll go down to the coast and enjoy some fishing. If you've been on that road or those roads, you know that there's some glorious cotton fields out there. For some reason, I'm drawn to that kind of stuff. And so in the right season, these cotton fields will be ripe for harvest. And it'll be just white. You've probably seen them down there. You've seen them around the country, wherever you travel. Just amazing. Now, I want you to think of me pulling, over my, pulling my truck over the side of the road and staring at that cotton, nice and white and fluffy and ready to be harvested, and just saying, ripen, ripen, grow, grow, grow. Okay, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna really get into some kind of spiritual gear and I'm gonna, you know, like lift my hand to the Lord and point. I command you in the name of Jesus, you will ripen. You will grow. Trying to convince God to ripen what's already ripe. It's ripe. 
Any of that make sense? We pray for workers to be sent out as harvesters. The fourth thing is this. If I were the devil, I'm not the devil. You're not the devil. The devil's been defeated. He's been displaced, and he is doomed in a lake of fire. I would uh, convince Christ's followers that the Holy Spirit was sent to simply bless them. Yes, Holy Spirit is our counselor. He's our convictor. He's our teacher. Absolutely. But in this day and time, many of many churches, many Christ followers think the Holy Spirit is all about them. Anoint me and bless me. Give me that ooey gooey feeling inside, oh God. And the goosebumps, Lord, bring the goosebumps on. Have I had goosebumps that I can root to the Holy Spirit? I think so. So if you think I'm crazy, I'm cray cray. But it's not all about goosebumps. Holy Spirit is all about me. Have you, have you, have, I wonder if you've ever been around a person like, man, how does the Holy Spirit have time for anyone else? Because it just seems like the Holy Spirit's just concentrated on him or her. And you feel inferior? Like, dang, I wish I'd get a touch from the Holy Spirit. You know that's called? Religious spirit. And that's not of God. Can I get an amen? Is anybody with me? The Holy Spirit indwells all believers in Christ. Jesus came, died. He ascended into the heavens, but before he ascended into the heavens, he reminded the disciples, or he said to the disciples this verse. It'll be on the screen. But when the Holy Spirit has come, Upon you, you will receive power. I taught you here for 27 years to look for the little words in Scripture, and the little word that I want to point out to you is and. You'll receive power and. What's a manifestation of the power? will tell people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So be careful when people feel like they have the exclusive copyright on the Holy Spirit. Be careful when you have that feeling, oh my gosh, I just wish that I could have that same you know, kind of connection because, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? No, no, no. Holy Spirit was given to uh, empower and send so that you might be proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that look different from you than me? Yeah, probably so. And probably from her to him and him to her and all that stuff. That's why Jesus created the body 
of Christ. It's because all the expressions of the people just in this room going out and teaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, makes a difference in the world. Did I share about the externally focused church yet in this service? See, when you're 56, you remember things from you know, service to service, or you forget things from service to service. This book, Externally Focused Church, and I'll be done, I think. So these guys wrote it. And the basic question that the book asks is this. If your church ceased to exist in your community, would the community take notice? And I want to say to you, Cypress Creek Church, that this community would take notice. Not because you are perfect or I'm perfect, because you have a track record of looking outside the walls of the church and not being consumed with yourselves. And I give that to you as a word of encouragement. Did I tag on that part about the pastors doing a good job during COVID and maybe thanking them? Okay, I did that. Did I do that again? So anyway, thank your pastors. Okay, thank your overseers. It's so very important. A lot of people think, man, they just pastors just get all this praise and thanksgiving, you know, all the time. You don't want to give them the big head. You want to keep them, you know, poor and you know, humble and all that kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. Pastors need your encouragement. All of them and your overseers as well. Community group leaders too. But that's besides the point. That's a well, that's not besides the point. That's another message. Okay. I'm done. Thanks for putting up with me. Love y'all. Glad that I'm a faithful member of Cypress Creek Church and uh, so thrilled with what God has done the last year. Can I get an amen? In the midst of all this craziness, Oh, my gosh. And you guys are just rocking the house and making a dent. Way to go. So we're going to go into a ministry time because Jose that said to me, that's what we're going to do. So if you'll stand to your feet, I just want to say maybe you need prayer. And I would encourage you just to come and man with a man, woman with a woman, couple with a couple, and just say, you know, I just need prayer. It's not long-term counseling. There's nothing wrong with long-term counseling. It's just, you know, I need prayer on this issue. Maybe the enemy devil is wreaking havoc in your life. And you just know it. Hello, you know it. And you're like, I just, I know what the schemes of the enemy are, are doing, or what he's doing in my life. I just need, you know, to follow God. I need support via prayer. Maybe you're here today and your spouse is with you and the enemy is wreaking havoc on you. He's, he's doing the, the, the mayhem upon you and you just want, you know, prayer for that. Maybe you're single here and you're not in that boat at all, but you want a spouse one day and you got some thoughts in your mind that you want to be released of and all this kind of stuff. Maybe you're oppressed today and you want to be free of that oppression. Maybe you're filled with guilt and shame. By the way, that's the enemy and not the Father God, hello? And you just want to release that. You see, a lot of times when we have ministry time, we think, whoa, that person's really sick and dysfunctional because they came forward. Hello? Well, guess what? We're all sick and we're all dysfunctional. Now, that's where you say amen, okay? Don't be a pious Pharisee there, okay? We're all sick. We're all dysfunctional. We all have our stuff we're dealing with. So that's not the mindset of this church family. 
when they see you come forward. The mindset of this church family during ministry time is God is working through the power of his Holy Spirit in this great. That's what we want to see.